0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I have a bunch of cool stuff to talk about, but first I want to let everybody in the New York City area know that iFix Arcade is going to be opening up special this Sunday afternoon because a certain smoky monster might be blowing through town. Uh, So Chris, the owner, is opening it up special just for this, and I really hope if anybody's in the area, we can at least have the same group that was here when Dan and Steve showed up, um, and hopefully any of the people that were missing from last time too. But uh, if you're interested in coming down, uh, it's the same cover to get in, it's always $10, Chris isn't one of those people that jacks it up for special events, it's 10 bucks to get in just like it always is, uh, free play arcade, and we'll all be hanging out there in the afternoon, hopefully, as long as everything falls into place. So if you're in the New York City area and you want to come down and hang out, this Sunday is probably a great day to do it. It's right in the afternoon, it's supposed to be nice out, so uh, come on down, meet all of us, and uh, hopefully we'll have the same kind of big turnout like last time. But Anyway, let's just jump right into it. First up, the second episode of the Retro RGB Road Trip just aired, where I got to meet Kevin Horton Kevtris, in person at his house. So I thought that was really awesome. Uh, He was very cool and very easy to talk to. And I just had a really great time finally meeting him in person and seeing where he works and uh, and really just kind of taking in all the magic that happens in that lab that we were in. But uh, for anybody that was upset that I couldn't get any more info out of him, uh, you know, he he says publicly that he's working on another top secret project that he's not allowed to talk about. Uh, So that's it. I obviously wasn't going to push him on that because, you know, he's under NDA. He's not allowed to talk about it. So sorry for all the people that were complaining that I didn't get more info, but I wouldn't have tried to be honest with you. That's, uh, you know, that's not how it works. Uh, I always respect these people's privacies as well as the companies they work for, but I still thought it was a pretty awesome interview, and I liked all the, the weird little gadgets he talked about, especially the, the sign, the flip dot sign, and I just for whatever reason thought that was really cool. So anybody that's interested, definitely take a look. Um, I really think uh, it was a a fun interview, and hopefully any fans of his would agree as well. But uh, I'm going to keep going with these. Uh, Obviously, I'm going to start visiting people that I know and then try to branch off, so hopefully other people that I don't know won't be weirded out by me trying to invite myself over their house. (laughs) Hopefully I can get a few more of these in with my friends uh, and people that already know and trust me, and then uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But as long as you guys keep watching, I'll keep making them. Vertec is working on a video out mod for the Virtual Boy that allows simultaneous output through this board as well as through the goggles themselves. So this would be one of the first times anybody who wants to stream Virtual Boy games can play them using the original hardware and actually stream them or record them at the same time. So I think this is very neat. I'm a huge fan of the Virtual Boy, which is weird because I really only like two or three games on it, but I really like those two or three games, Um, and I believe... Furtek has done things like this in the past, where he's been VGA modding using an FPGA, but this time he's trying to make it onto a board that could be installed as a kit, and I believe he's going to make a few of them for sale at first, and then post them for open source. So I'll keep everybody posted when I get more news on it, and I really hope to try one myself. Pre-orders are now open for SNK's 40th anniversary collection for the Switch. There's going to be ports of both the arcade and console versions of games on here, Um, And the entire list hasn't been released yet, so whatever you see on their website, there's actually going to be even more games than that. Um, the actual release date is a little iffy because all the different stores have a different date listed but it's pretty much going to be around November uh, or assumed to be around November and you could pre-order now anyway to guarantee that you get it. So um, I still think it's you know, most likely just an, uh, an emulation collection and not any rebuilt games but if you were looking to play some of those SNK games uh, maybe this is just the best way to do it you know, uh, especially if you don't have any other way to play it but you do have a Switch. The Arcade Trigger mod is now back in stock for the PS1 GunCon controller. This is the same person, Bratwurst, on the Atari Age forums that made the Saturn controller mod, which pretty much just puts an arcade controller switch in the trigger, allowing you to have a much more uh, strong and arcade feel when you pull the trigger. Uh, For me, it was definitely something I noticed on the Saturn, that it felt kind of mushy. Um, So upgrading to an arcade trigger with this 3D printed bracket is probably going to be a good idea for anybody that's a fan of those light gun games. And he also said that he was looking into triggers with um, a different amount of force required. Because I know a few people were complaining that it was a little too hard of a pull on the Saturn mods. But um, I think it's just a drop-in replacement, so his 3D printed board would still work on it. But more info in the links down below, and if anybody wants to mod their PS1 GunCon controller, it seems like a pretty cool thing to do. Somebody sent me a link to a very crazy looking 10 port SCART switch that has uh, multiple outputs and a ton of input options. So each SCART port can be toggled between JP21 or SCART, EuroSCART, So it's compatible with both cables, and you could mix and match which that alone is, I think, the first time I've ever heard of a switch that does that. It also has two SCART outputs, uh, an XRGB mini style output to go direct into that scaler, as well as RCA outputs, so you could use RCA to BNC adapters to go into a monitor. Um, I I know nothing about this switch other than the specs and the pictures, and it looks really cool, but I know nothing else about it. So if anybody's heard of this before or knows the company, please let me know. If anybody thinks it's worth buying, maybe I'll pick one up, take it apart, and do full testing on it. Because it's not too expensive. I believe it's around $200 US. Um, and if it's built properly and there's no interference um, and there, it's you know it outputs multiple at the same time without any issues, then this might be a very, very cool thing for people that need to mix and match uh JP-21, and SCART cables, but please post down below and let me know what you think, and maybe I'll pick one up, stick it on the scope, and do some testing. GameTech is now an official reseller for those Rocker Gaming GameCube jewels, which I think I mentioned that a week or two ago, and it's just a pretty cool way to mod the case of your GameCube to get custom looks to it. I, of course, liked the Metroid one best, but um, anybody that's looking to pick one of those up, now you can get them through GameTech as well. Extreme's just posted another version of the Game Boy interface software, adding options for an open source scan converter preset. He's also been posting SIMPTY color bar com- uh, comparison shots that show some of the issues that were happening in the basic GC video firmwares that I believe he's been working with Unseen to try to get that fixed. It's a pretty small difference, in my opinion, but um, something that in the long run is always good that it's going to be fixed. He's also posted a lot of updates to the wiki itself, including some pretty cool things like posting the settings for his Datapath Vision capture card, so you can get a really great capture from the Game Boy interface out directly to the the Datapath software. Um, At the moment, I think he just has the settings for the official uh, GameCube component cables, but either way, it's, it's just a really neat thing to have on there. Also, uh, thanks to everybody for, who posted down below last week about their thoughts on the Game Boy Interface software. Um, I, as I suspe- suspected, all of the comments were overwhelmingly positive. People really, really love it. Um, and I think hopefully the feedback will go straight to Extremes, and they'll be able to see some of the things that people are really wanting more than others. Which, you know, it's a hard thing for any developer because there's stuff that you want to work on and there's stuff that other people want you to work on, and that might not always be the same thing. But, um, as always, I'm a massive fan of Extremes' work and that project because it's a really awesome way to get original Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games through RGB. So I'll be following the project as always, I'll keep everybody updated, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll get a little bit easier way to use the software at some point in the future. Frankie Strasser just uploaded a board to OSH Park that allows for surface mount components on a basic RGB mod. So this board is specifically for consoles that don't output RGB but do have chips that do output RGB on the board that just aren't connected. He specifically designed this for the CDI, and if you take a look at my uh, CDI BOD pictures, you'll see exactly why the board is a much neater choice, because you'd have to solder those capacitors and resistors directly to either the chip itself or your output adapter. So obviously having a surface mount board would just make for a cleaner install. So it's really just a cheap and easy way to do something like that. Um, You could use a board like his to tap the outputs of that chip directly from it and then maybe sit this board on top of it with uh, some pretty fluffy double-sided tape just to give a cushion and some space. I think that would work pretty well in many cases. And the opposite, um, which I would love to see, is a version of a board like this that goes directly onto the output DIN, kind of like you see in this hacked together picture here. Because I think um, mounting uh, or soldering wires to those DINs are can be a pain sometimes. And having something that slides right over with just the surface mount components there might be a great solution for people who just want to use the same style DIN that's used in the XRGB Mini. That way you could have a pass-through cable with no components in it, uh, slap this board on the back, and be able to change the components for whatever console you need. So for example, maybe one needs 75 ohm resistors on the RGB line, but one console might need a 480 ohm resistor on the sync line maybe some would need higher or lower and i believe on almost all cases when you're coming out of these sony encoders you would want the capacitors on there as well so having a design like that would be handy um, this design that he's already put up is obviously a great one that uh, that would come in handy for anybody just looking to clean up mods like this because while stuff like this isn't bad anytime you have extra weight hanging on something always better just to do a a small surface mount board. So I think I talked quite a lot about just a basic little board with a few components on it but we need more simple stuff like this and anything to take one step out of any of these installs is really something that's helpful both for beginners and for people that want to pump out a bunch of these. So uh, thanks to Frankie for posting it and uh, hey dude if you got time maybe do one that kind of like this board but that includes the surface mount components right on it. Indie Retro News just posted a spotlight on any of the hacks for the NES version of Legend of Zelda, and I think there's a bunch of cool ones on there. My favorite's the little map edition that you can get, but if you're interested in ROM hacks for Zelda, check out their link. The arcade game Toki is getting a release on the Nintendo Switch this November, and there's also going to be a special edition available that allows you to assemble a cardboard arcade that you could set the Switch in. And I love stuff like this. I just think it's a very neat aesthetic addition to something that any fans of the game probably would have bought anyway. But now you get to sit the Switch itself in a mini arcade and be able to play it like that. So I hope we see stuff like this for more releases. And it can't be too expensive a thing to add. I mean, it's just a colorful cardboard box that you could snap together. So very cool, and uh, I hope to see a lot more of these. Voltar just uploaded another video on PS1 mods, showcasing mods that maybe you haven't seen before, and it's your typical Voltar video filled with Bob Ross solder porn and a bunch of really cool tips and tricks. So anybody that's interested in this stuff, definitely give it a watch. I always enjoy them, and uh, I hope he keeps pumping these out. The game Chasm is finally being released on July 31st to everybody, with uh, early backers getting a July 16th release available on Steam. This game's gonna be on Steam, PS4, and Vita, and it has procedurally generated levels, which I guess means if you play it just once, it'll seem like any other Metroidvania-style game, but if you go back and replay it, it'll be a little bit different each time. So it's something I'm definitely interested in. Um, I wish it was out on the Switch, too, but I'll get to it on one of the other forums as soon as I can. But this is yet another Kickstarter that's like four years late. So I really wish people had more realistic expectations of what it takes to do some of these things. Um, And I guess as Kickstarter backers we should all just expect everything to be late, which sucks because it shouldn't be that way, That's just the way it is. So hopefully the game will be good and it'll be worth the wait. A new version of the SD to SNES menu editor was released that supports the latest version of the firmware, which is incompatible with the older menus. So the bad news is if you already made an awesome menu for an old firmware, you're going to have to redo it with this. But the good news is that new firmware includes a bunch of fixes and Super FX support. So it's without a doubt a worthy upgrade. Um, And maybe if you didn't make a menu, now uh, you have one that you know is compatible. So maybe this will just push you to go out and make one. Smoke Monster made me that a while back, and that has been my default menu on my SD to SNES ever since. I just think it's really neat that every time I fire it up, I get my logo on it. But link is down below to both the firmware as well as the um, the menu editor itself. Maxim on the SMS Power forums just did something that I didn't even think was possible. He took the arcade voices from the Space Harrier arcade game and was able to port them over to the Master System. So now using his patch you could play the Master System version and every time the level starts or you get hit you actually have the arcade voices coming out not the weird little Master System sounds that you sometimes heard. Um, There's a video down below that shows the differences of them and I'm really looking forward to patching Space Harrier 3D and giving this a try because Uh, I I really like that game, it was one of the few games I played on the SMS as a kid, and uh, I just, I like silly 3D stuff like that, so being able to hear it with the arcade voices would be a pretty awesome thing in my opinion. Mellet has started shipping the first few prototypes of his Virtual Boy dev programmers. These are not ROM carts, this is just something that will allow you to program his 16 megabit and 128 megabit carts, as well as dump any Virtual Boy carts that you have. So while I'm certainly waiting for his flashcart to be released, this is a pretty cool dev tool that I thought I would tell everybody about, uh, and also just because I like the way it looks, so I figured I would just show it to everybody. But anybody that was looking to do Virtual Boy dev programming, check out the link, and if you're waiting for the flashcart, I will let people know about that as soon as there's any info at all. And lastly, PhoneDork's back. Uh, After over two years of not posting a video, he's back with a guide on how to get Amiga WH-Load to work on your MIST FPGA system. So it's kind of a niche video that I think is pretty cool, but to be honest, uh, I'm just glad he's back. I hope we get a lot more videos from him, and uh, maybe someday I'll even get out to see him out in Arizona, I believe. But cool video. Check it out if you have a MIST or if you're just into that stuff. Uh, And hopefully this is the the first of more to come from PhoneDork, because I definitely miss his videos. Well, that's it for this week. There wasn't too much to talk about, but I just report on what I see. I don't make any of this stuff up, so uh, hopefully you will be back with a lot more next time. But as always, thank you so much to all my Patreon supporters and to everybody that supports the channel. I couldn't do any of this stuff without you, and uh, I hope to keep doing a bunch more stuff just like it. So if you're around this Sunday and you're in the New York City area, don't forget to stop by and uh, say hi to Smoke Monster and all of us hanging out. Uh, and if not, I'll see you guys next time.